Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, August 16th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 26. Moses tells Israel how the Lord will defeat the Canaanite nations before them, lest Israel become ensnared by all sorts of foreign idols and so fall away from the only true God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Linnell. Pastor Linnell serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's a beautiful day. Thank you for having me on again. As we get started today, Pastor Linnell, Give us a little bit of context. What should we know going into Deuteronomy chapter 7? Well, we've, we've been in Deuteronomy now for, for seven chapters, and we've, we've had the, you know, the privilege of having Halstead come on and, and, and walk through some things with this. When, when we're going through Deuteronomy, one of the things that we, that we have to remember is, is when this is being written or when it's being proclaimed. So when you start Deuteronomy, the book, it tells you where they are, and they're on the other side of the Jordan, and and they are they are not yet going over into the promised land. But Moses, this is this is Moses's sort of last thing before he steps down and Joshua takes over and they're they're going in. And so Moses, he has a whole a whole nation of people that are about to embark on something that is honestly pretty stressful, pretty, pretty scary. And what they need to know is that they need to know that God is still with them. And you would think, well, God has already done so many amazing things. How could they not know that God is with them? But this is a new generation of people. The old generation of people, they, they were wandering in the wilderness for 38, for 40 years. And so Moses is, is he, he is recounting the deeds of the Lord and he is telling them what it is that they're going to be going in to do. And he is giving them uh, warnings and encouragement about the path forward. And so as you read through Deuteronomy, it's not just, you know, a, a book, a record that he's writing. But this is, this is Moses giving that sort of encouragement or God through Moses giving that encouragement to his people and that's that's why again like at the end of it you have that that verse that gets chosen as a confirmation verse verse so often right that be strong and courageous and fear not for you know for i am with you and so that's that's sort of the theme moses is recounting the deeds of the lord he is uh giving them warnings and chastisement as they're going into um, a, a risky spiritual and physical situation He's reminding them that the Lord is always with them. And here in chapter 7, Moses is dealing sort of specifically with what, what they are expected to do as they go into this land and, and how they are expected to deal with the inhabitants of that land 
And the distance, the separation that they are supposed to have from these people, even as they go in and, and sort of clear them out and take over the land. And that, that provides some challenges for us, sort of, I think, in a, in a modern context. Um, it provides some, some challenges to us as we hear these things because, well, that's, some of it's pretty scary. Some of it really is pretty scary. But we're going to see as we go through sort of why God gives the instructions that he does, how those instructions are attached to his promises, both spiritually and pragmatically, and then how even though the Lord seems to present um, choices to them, that it's it's really not so much about, you know, free will or choices, but it's about here are the gifts that God has given, and then basically just saying don't run away from them. You know, you're you're going to be in a place where you really need God. Like you you needed God in the wilderness, and you're really going to need Him going in here too. So, all right, that's a that's a fantastic introduction, Pastor Linnell. Let's jump right in to Deuteronomy chapter seven this morning. Moses continues, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn Away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. 
the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them, until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. That is our text for today. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 26. So, Pastor Linnell, the, the text begins with one of those challenging sections, as you were describing it, where the Lord tells his people through Moses, they're about to enter into this land. There are these seven nations, they're listed there, who are bigger and mightier than you. But Moses says, the Lord your God is going to give them over to you, and you need to devote them to complete destruction. And it's, it's given there at the beginning, and that theme shows up in several other places in this chapter. Why is that challenging? How do we wrestle with this challenge? You know, I, I talk to a lot of people that have a hard time with the Old Testament because they they are used to, you know, well, God loves everybody. He doesn't he doesn't desire the death of a sinner, you know, that and so we have this idea that, oh yes, the Lord is the Lord is very upset, but Jesus. So we never have to worry about that. And and I get that. I mean, that's that's not wrong. But then they they look in the Old Testament and they see God smiting out entire you know races of people or you know clans of people, and and they're like, but there were children in there. How can how could God condone that? I mean, this is this is a terrible, brutal thing. What I appreciate about that sort of struggle or that sort of question is at the very least you're you're taking seriously what this is and what it means that everything and everyone gets wiped out there is there is nothing left and part of the struggle that we have with that is is going to be really sort of one of of two things um god's judgment of of these people becomes a problem because in order to accept it we we feel like we need to either demonize them as worse than we are, which sort of reeks of pride and self-righteousness, or we're just scared that God might kill us too. God all of a sudden doesn't feel safe anymore. And, you know, we, we dislike the idea that we should fear God on, on account of our sins, but, but I'm not entirely sure why. Why do we dislike that so much? Why do we feel like that's wrong? Why should you not fear God on account of your sins? And isn't that something that was taught to you in the, you know, in the catechism anyway? Isn't that something that the Bible says? Hmm. I mean, look, if you're, if you're out there 
and you're embezzling money and scamming the widows, should you not fear God? Should you not fear his, his retribution for, for that sin? If you're out there cheating on your spouse, if you're out there living in sin and embracing those things that are evil, should, should you not fear God? Hmm. Of course you should. Yeah. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. You know, the, the issue is, is that the law of God doesn't just disappear because you read God is love in the Bible this one time, right? That, that fear that you have is also a result of faith. And it, it should, that fear should drive us to the cross where salvation can be found, right? The idea that, oh, it's okay because, you know, God is forgiving. Jesus died for me. Look, of course you're forgiven, but that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't mean that you should be you should be okay with your sins, right? The the contrite spirit that is acceptable to God is not a heart that is okay with your sins. And so you know you shouldn't just go on sinning and and living in those things, at the very least without some sort of struggle, and say, well, I'm going to continue sinning that grace may abound. Right, even Paul in the New Testament, he says, "By no means, or God forbid." Right, yeah. and then so the question that we end up with is, well, then why does God kill these people, and not us? So, um, and and the issue is, the issue is, really, it's it's layered. But I think the first thing that that we ought to say, is that these people didn't want God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not like they were just out there doing their own thing and had no warning. It's not like they had never heard of the Lord. It's not like they didn't even know that some of the things that they were doing were bad. And and if they didn't, that in itself is really scary. Because these are not these are not just like, you know, small farmer communities that are kind of doing their own thing. The gods that they worship and the culture that they lived in is nothing like you have ever seen in your entire life the the amount of child sacrifice the amount of forced temple prostitution the the way that their gods and their religion is structured the the violence that is a part of their everyday life and community like it's just not it's not quite the same and again it's not like they didn't know It's not like the Amorites that are listed there hadn't already fought against the Israelites and seen their God and the power of their God. And in those days, that sort of miraculous defeat should be a call to repentance. Why are you continuing to fight against the God of Israel? It's not the case that they didn't have the chance to repent, if that's how you want to go with that. It's not like they didn't hear Right? They did. And in fact, we have examples of people in the land of Canaan right, who, who heard and saw about the Lord and went out of their way to avoid destruction and met success. Mm. Right? The, the story of the Gibeonites in Joshua 9. Right? You know, and, and of course, the, the Gibeonites are not those people who prefer Jeffrey Gibbs over David Scare in his Matthew commentary. <laughs> That's a pretty, sorry. pretty limited the inside baseball there, but we'll, I'll allow it. That's okay. <laughs> no, the, the Gibeonites, these are, uh, these are, these are people that live in the land of Canaan and they, they see what's going on 
And the Lord right here in our text gave them the command, don't make any covenants, don't make any promises with them, don't make any treaties with them. Well, the Gibeonites, they're like, listen, we're, we're all in a bit of trouble. And so them and a couple other cities, they, they put on these disguises in essence, and they go to, um, to Joshua, they go to the, the leaders of Israel, and they pretend to be sojourners from a different land, wandering nomads just passing through. And so they say, oh man, hey, we don't want to get caught up in your holy war. So, you know, if you could just make a treaty with us, like we are from a far off place. And they're like, how do we know that you're from a far off place? And they're like, oh man, look, our clothes are old and our bread is moldy and our wineskins are cracked. We have been on a long journey. And so they go ahead and they make this covenant with them. They make this promise in the name of the Lord, which is important. And then it turns out that they, they find out almost immediately after doing this, that, uh, that they had been tricked. Right. And they're kind of upset about it, but they had made a promise in the name of the Lord. And so they're bound to keep it because when God's representative makes a promise, God has made that promise. And when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And so they can't kill the Gibeonites, but they're not quite sure what to do. And so eventually they let them live. But then Joshua says, listen, any time at any point in time that we call upon you to cut wood and pull water for the altar of God, you you are God's servants. And they're like, yeah, yes. Yes, we are God's living servants. That's that's sort of the key. Mm. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dead. Mm. And so that's it, it works out for them. And it works out for some of those other cities. It's not like they never had a chance to repent or that they didn't see or that they didn't have just as much knowledge as any of the other Israelites walking around. And mind you, there were a bunch of Israelites that rebelled as well, even having seen all the things that they did. The people knew. That's why there were seven nations. That's why they they formed alliances against the Israelites, right? But the Israelites coming in wasn't some big secret. They knew and they were worried about it because the Israelites seemed like they could not be defeated because they couldn't. And so instead of either repenting or going up to them and saying like, listen, we will serve your God. What must we do to live? right? Like even the, the Jews with Peter in, in Acts, instead of asking that question, they refused to give up their, their false gods. They refused to give up their sacrifices, human sacrifices. They refused to give up their, their temple prostitution. They refused to give up these things, and they were willing to fight, kill, or die in order to keep them. And the Lord said to them, thy will be done. So, yeah, yeah, the, the Lord wipes them out, right? But it's not because they are so much worse than us. And it's not because the Lord is unforgiving or that he withheld his, you know, the, the, the salvation and knowledge of salvation from them. It's a, it's a hard thing. And I understand that it's a hard thing. I'm not saying that you should be happy with it. Nobody should be happy with it. I don't even think God's happy with it. He doesn't want that people should die but but this is the way things are when when people reject that grace and salvation and you know the fact that god doesn't come down and just smite people out of the clouds today is is a, a wonderful blessing but like you know that judgment's coming right like when the lord talks about that like in our creed like you know that there's going to be a day when there's judgment right so 
I don't know. I just, I understand the emotional response to that, but if you walk through it, I don't think it's that much different. Right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing it at the very beginning to the fear of the Lord and the, the appropriate nature of that. I mean, that's what the Bible commands us to do. It's in the book of Deuteronomy multiple times. It's in the old Testament, especially multiple times that, and I I think perhaps we've, we've lost a, a sense of what the fear of the Lord is, I know when I was when I was going through confirmation and and first learning the catechism, even younger than that, that the fear of the Lord we talked about it in the sense of awe and respect, which it is those things, but I I think we would do well to keep in mind the fear of the Lord from texts like these, so that we don't ever, well, I, you use the the word that we want to think God is safe, and and he's you know he's he's not he's God he's to, if I can borrow from C.S. Lewis he's good. But he's not he's not safe. And I, I think coming back to the fear of the Lord is a really helpful way of, of grappling with texts like these. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes, you know, just like thinking about it as a as a pastor, you know, we when you when you preach the law, like the law is supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to hurt. Um, and maybe not, you know, every sermon is exactly the same, and that's fine, right? It's an ongoing conversation with the people. But sometimes I wonder if maybe I do a disservice in not preaching the law harshly enough. If people are saying something like, well, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just going through the motions at church, like maybe, maybe, maybe the way you look at church is not the problem. Maybe the way that we look at our own sin is the problem. Because if we have this kind of fear of the Lord over our sins, then maybe church wouldn't be going through the motions. Maybe we'd be a little bit more desperate for it. And I'm not yeah. saying other people, like I'm, I'm including myself in that. Yeah. You know, if yeah. we really did examine ourselves thusly, then that message would not be lip service. I sat with somebody yesterday. I sat with somebody yesterday who hadn't been um, um, in in the church for a while. They'd, they'd kind of fallen away, and, and they were they were on hard times. We were talking about this, and they were they were weeping because they didn't know that God loved them, and they felt the weight of their own sin. Hmm. Like goodness gracious! Like I I felt bad for feeling good. You know, it was like that. Those those moments are so clear that somebody obviously understands the law and applies that to themselves. And then you just get to tell them about Jesus's love, but you know, but, but, but that, that works. Like the reason that that is such a, a passionate and emotional thing is because I hate my sins so much. And because I, I fear the consequences of that. And so I'm desperately fleeing to the cross for I have nowhere else to flee. Even if I was to call the mountains to fall down upon me, where shall I hide from the eye of the Lord? You know, and then we could go on quoting Psalms. But um, so in this, when we read these passages, the fact that they make you feel bad and scared is not the problem. So long as that drives us to the cross of Christ and makes us cling to that perhaps even more desperately. For in Christ there is salvation, and there was salvation even for at least a few of the people in this land who also... Uh, ran to the Lord's representative asking for a promise of peace and salvation, and they received it. Mm. So the Lord is not out there looking to smite. He will, but that's not what he's looking to do. Mm. He is He is looking to save. Mm. Um, and, and he does that. He, he does that even here. Mm. So, 
another thing that, that comes up from this text when it comes to the destruction of these people, not only the guilt that they have, the rejection of God's grace that they have they have done that leads to their destruction, the Lord also mentions a reason for his own people. He doesn't want them or their children to be dragged away into the idolatry of these people. He mentions that again in the beginning of the text, and it comes up over and over again. I have about two minutes here to, to at least start thinking about, about what the Lord says about this, the nature of the idolatry being a temptation or a snare for his people. It, it, it really is, um, you know, and this gets into perhaps a, a larger conversation about, uh, about, you know, either, you know, marry unbelievers, what do we, you know, those sorts of things. The Lord calls people away from a life of sin. Um, and this, this idea of having um, a conversion or, you know, a regeneration where you are, you are, you know, coming to faith like you are you are called to live in a different way those temptations will always be there right but you you shouldn't actively walk into and live in those things and here with god's people it's it's really kind of a an even more desperate situation because those influences aren't going to go away and the more space you give them like you never get that space back when you concede, you know, an inch, and then you concede an inch because you're you're trying to be compassionate, you're you're trying to be, um, you know, loving. If you are conceding space to evil things, that's not loving and compassionate. Not only are you not helping the other person, but you are encroaching upon that holy space in which God has called you to live. And this is not the only place this happens in the Bible. It happens all the time. But generally speaking, again, you go out and you marry somebody who does not support you in the faith, you might, you know, the Holy Spirit might through you bring them to faith. But, you know, look, nine times out of 10, that's going to hurt your relationship with the Lord. I mean, there's an entire story in the Bible about that, which, you know, when we talk about Noah um, and what happens in the days of Noah, right? So this is in Genesis. It says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were attractive and took for them wives as they so pleased. And then we're all like, that was angels. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was the, de- it was the descendants of, it was the descendants of Abel and Seth, who are the sons of God, the people that remember the promise and the son and the daughters of men, the people that don't believe in the promise, the daughters of, uh, you know, of uh, what are they, Cain. And, yeah. you know, they got tired of marrying their first cousins. And so they decided to marry their third cousins because, you know, they had red hair and they liked that. And hey, inadvertently, they decided to marry somebody who obviously didn't understand the promise. And over the course of several generations, they continued to fall away until nobody remembered the promises anymore. And they probably shouldn't have done that. Mm. And that's what they're saying here, among other things which is if you bring people in who will probably have some resentment toward your God for murdering their entire community, it's more likely than not that they're going to lead you away from God than you're going to convince them that, you know, they're, your God's a good dude. Hmm. Because if they believed that, we wouldn't be in this position. Hmm. So, you know, that applies a lot to our our own lives. And that doesn't mean that if your neighbor doesn't believe in God, that you should go smite them. You have no command from God to do that. And if you feel like you have a command to do that, please talk to someone. But in the same sort of way, you know, as a parent, the rule is uh, you can't date a boy or a girl that won't come to church with you. Mm. Like that's, that's my rule because the very least, if they won't support you in the faith, they won't support you. 
end of story. So, you know, that, that applies not only here in the Old Testament, right, but that applies pragmatically to our lives all over the place. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Deuteronomy 7 with Pastor Sean Linnell. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, August 16th. We're studying Deuteronomy 7 with Pastor Sean Linnell. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, prior to the break, we're working our way through about the first five verses. And in the conversation concerning the destruction of these people, one of the things that the Lord wants to guard against, and I think this has come up in our conversation so far, he wants to guard against pride on the part of his people who are not destroyed. And as you said, it's when the Lord destroys these other nations, it's not because the people of Israel were so great or that they somehow didn't deserve God's judgment. And the Lord makes that very plain through Moses in verses 6 and following. This is one of my favorite texts in the book of Deuteronomy, where where the Lord tells his people why he chose them and the fact that it's completely out of his love and his promise-keeping. Uh, take us into those verses. When the Lord tells them why he's chosen them, right? he he's tells them first sort of why he did not. He he did not choose them because they were more numerous, because they were wealthy, because they were handsome, because they, there is there is no intrinsic quality to them for and by which the Lord has chosen them. He has chosen them um, not out of his holy divine sovereignness, although he is, but he says he's chosen them out of his his great love and of his mercy. And so one of the things that that means, and that's, that's really, you know, sort of comforting is that there's nothing you can do to earn, to gain God's love, but there, there really isn't anything you can do to lose it either. You can push it away, you know, in the same sort of way that, you know, if you're, if your mom or dad loves you, and loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you're going to do to make them not love you. But if if you refuse to accept that love, if you refuse to engage with them, you may not receive the benefit of that love, but it doesn't mean that they, they love you any less. And so when the Lord comes to them and he, and he says this in verse 8, you know, but it is because the Lord loves you and he is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers 
that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This, the Lord makes a promise, and when the Lord makes a promise, he always keeps it. Now, at this point in time in history, Christ has not come yet. And so the defining moment of salvation in, in history is the Exodus. And this is that to which Moses is appealing, to remind them, the Lord saved you in Egypt through the death of the firstborn, right? And the blood of the lamb on your, on your door. The Lord saved you through the coming of the Red Sea. And because the Lord has made these promises, because the Lord has done these things, he's going to keep his promise to you. And it doesn't matter what sort of mighty army stands out there. It doesn't matter how small and, and insignificant you are compared to them. It is the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who promises. And it's the Lord who keeps those promises. The Lord does the exact same thing for us today. Only he doesn't reference uh, Passover in Egypt. He references you know, Christ and the blood of the Lamb of God, Christ, on the cross, for which, you know, at the death of his firstborn, death passes us over and sin is paid for. But that then is the defining moment of all of creation, and it is the thing towards which Passover pointed anyway. So the message that Moses gives them here is really not any different. Like it's, this, is, this is just the gospel, right? And it's yeah. great. Um, and it's important to hear that because he is going to bring up things about covenants and statutes and commands and other sorts of things. Like he is going to talk about that. But before he does any of those things, he reminds them that God has made a promise before any rules were given. God made a promise and he's going to keep that promise. Therefore, and then he continues. Mm. And it's the same sort of thing with us, right? The, you know, certainly there is law. There are those things that show us our sin, but the Lord saves us because the Lord is good, because he loves us. And now that the Lord has saved us, it's not even that we have to, but this is who God has made us to be. This is what we get to do. There is a, right, the Holy Spirit within us that desires to do these things. That's that third use of the law stuff, right? Mm. Um, and so, so now, now that the Lord has saved, as a result of that, we go out and do these things, not in order to earn our salvation. And that's not semantics, right? The intention and the order of things, causal effects matter. And the Lord, the Lord has done and will continue to do what the Lord has promised to do through Christ Jesus, right? Through the, the, the blood, through the, you know, the Passover, which is fulfilled in the sacrament of the altar, the crossing of the Red Sea, which, you know, is a precursor to baptism, or in Hebrews, it is a baptism. These are the signs. This is the work of the Lord. This is the foundation of your relationship. Now, here's what it looks like going forward. Hmm. And so that's what Moses does, right? So there in verse 12, um, or at the, I guess it's, I guess it's just before that. Um, so we're in, yeah, yeah. Well, about I mean, about verse twelve is is where I was was looking next oh. because I guess at verse eleven says you shall be careful yeah, to do this commandment, the statutes, the rules, and then in verse twelve he starts talking about what the result of that will be. Right, and and that's one of those interesting things, right? So we'll talk about like the Ten Commandments. Um, those are not imperative statements. Those are like future indicative statements. 
you know, the Jews don't even call them the Ten Commandments. They just call them the Ten Words. And their first commandment is the Lord your God has done these things, mm. right? And so a lot of times when, when we read those Ten Commandments, you know, we, we forget that this is, this is what we will be. And yeah, you know, God's, he's sort of like a, a parfait or an onion. There's layers to things. And so when you have the Ten Commandments, obviously those are commandments, right? Yeah. If I tell my son, you will go to bed now. Um, I mean, yeah, he's going to bed, but it is also kind of a command, right? right? If he doesn't do that, he's in trouble. Same sort of deal here. If you go out and murder people, there's probably going to be some consequences. But what the Lord is describing is what it looks like to be in his kingdom. This is the thing that he is making you to be. And those aren't bad things. They're not even that complicated, right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't, you know, sleep with people you're not married to. Don't, don't murder people. Yeah, what a terrible place to live. And, and so in here, but it's interesting in verse 12, he says, and because you listen to these rules and keep and do them. There's three things there. There's listen, keep, and do. They're not the same. They, they're very similar. They're related to each other, but they're not the same. You listen to those words and not just, you know, you listen like somebody said them and yeah, you, you technically heard them, but you are, you are actively listening to what the Lord has to say, right? Mm -hmm. uh, gladly hear and learn it, mm -hmm. right? That, that, and so, so you are actively listening and receiving the word of the Lord as God's word, right? You are not rejecting that word. And, and then you are going to keep that. That word is going to be kept in your heart. You're going to cherish it. And you're going to meditate on it. You're, you're, you're going to make that at least a, a part of your, right, your thought process of things and by the Holy Spirit's work. But still, it, it becomes a part of you internally. And then, and then it comes out in in actions either through uh positive things that you would do or things that you would refrain from doing and then that is also the order of things god's word comes to you god's word has an effect on you inside and then from that inside effect it comes outward jesus would do this by the way too like he'll say uh you know keep my commandments and then everybody says oh we have to do what jesus said no that's not what he said he does say do in a different place but he said keep what it means is to cherish the things that he taught, not run out and do all the things, you know, you, you should, but that's just not what he said. And so again, here you have these three things because the people of Israel, like, do you think, do you think they're going to do that? Like, even if they didn't fall into the intense stupidity that will be their later idolatry, do you, do you think that they would be doing that perfectly anyway? Hmm. Like, I don't think so. Right. Right. And so, but it is, it is this inward desire that does have outward effects, but it is, it is that struggle and it is, it is living in that word and, and letting that word and his spirit have that effect on you. Not to mention, by the way, he's speaking to them communally. Mm. Like, it's not like if your neighbor Jeff breaks the sixth commandment that God smites you, Right. He's talking about overall living in a community that strives to be a community of God's word that holds one another accountable, that lifts one another up, that, that, is, that is moving in the direction of, of God's word. <clears throat> None of these things are the things you have to do in order for God to love you. But if you choose not to live in those things and push those things away, 
then in a certain sense, sin is its own punishment. Your community is going to be awful. And then in another sense, the Lord's not just going to idly let you walk off. And sometimes, even though he's calling you very gently for a while, you're not listening. And if you're not listening, I'm going to need to get your attention. And the Lord can get your attention in a much more theatrical way than I can. You know, like with miracle snakes or the ground opening up or, you know, giant cancer plagues to the Philistines. Like, so he's going to get your attention and he's doing these things because he loves you. Because all of those things that are bad are better than the direction you are walking off to, which is real bad, right? Like hell and condemnation and no love and salvation. Mm. You know, even in those moments where the Lord seems harsh, sometimes we can't see his love in there. I mean, go back to when he says, go in there and, and condemn all of the people in the land to destruction and, you know, don't take for them wives and don't, you know, those things. You know what else that implies? It means that um, you don't get to take prisoners and torture them because you got mad at them in a battle. It means that you don't get to uh, steal their children from them and make their children slaves. You don't get to take their women because you think they're pretty and turn them into um, a certain type of slave. Like, you don't get to do those things because it is a very solemn thing that they're doing, going in and wiping these people out. And it's not for you to go in there and, and be some psychopath. And so in those commands, the Lord also limits the evil that they can do. And so in in all of those things, even sometimes when the Lord seems harsh, we have a hard time seeing his his love. And I don't know why. We're, We're broken. But the Lord doesn't just leave it to us either. He makes that love very explicit, and especially in his words. And this is what he says. Right. He says he will love. This is verse 13. He will love you, bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, the grain, the wine, the oil, the increase of your herds and flocks. As he continues enlisting all of the ways that the Lord will bless them. What he's not saying is follow my rules and I'll give you worldly goods. What he's saying is, is when you go into this land, don't be tempted by the worldly goods that you see and think of how much worldly wealth you could gain by not following my commands. Trust me. Do what I say, and I will take care of all of those things also, right? He's he's comforting them and giving them a reason to trust him and sort of a, in a way to assuage the temptation of worldly wealth and things to not follow his commands. Like it's, it's, it's actually a really, I mean, you know, it's a spiritual thing, but it's just a really pragmatic and wise, loving concession that the Lord makes. Like he doesn't even have to tell you he's going to do that. He gives you a command, follow it. But he does that anyway because he understands that we need it. The Lord does that to us all the time. And as you read through Deuteronomy, you see that back and forth. The Lord gives commands, but first he tells you, hey, I've already done these things for you. I'm going to be with you. You can follow my commands and trust that I'll be with you. Here are my commands. They're very important. Do these things. Bad things will happen if you don't. But don't worry. I will be with you. Like he sandwiches the law with gospel. And it's just, it's a really wonderful thing. And I think the Lord does that to us all the time. If, if we have a heart to hear it. Mm. I mean, the way you were describing what Moses says in these verses sounds very similar to the way Jesus speaks in the gospels. When he, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. There's, you know, there's no need to worry about your food or your clothing, because God takes care of the flowers and the birds, so surely he'll take care of you. 
So you, you seek after his kingdom, listen to his word, keep his word, do his word. All these things are gifts of your heavenly father to you, setting you free to seek after his kingdom. Like the Old Testament, New Testament go together and teach the same thing, I think. Yeah, I I really yeah. think so. And and I think that the the gospel text for this past Sunday matches up pretty well or well for what would be the 7th of August. It it matches up really well with with this because it, that is kind of what he's doing, right? Like he goes through all of these worldly things and he says that the Lord will take care of you. He'll do all of these things for you. And then he gets to the bottom, right? That's like, you're not little flock. You know, you see in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I distress with them? You know, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt and all the great trials. And so, you know, he's, he's again saying, yeah, they're pretty scary, but don't, don't be afraid. Fear not little flock, as Jesus says, because, you know, the salvation has already been won. Why, why would I abandon you now? That's right. That's right. As as Moses moves on in the chapter, then he, he brings up again the people perhaps being afraid of going in because these nations are so mighty. This has been something that they dealt with in the previous generation. That's why they didn't go in, because they were afraid. The Lord here is strengthening them to go over and do the task. What what does Moses say in, in verses 17 and following? We have, just as a way of warning, we have about 10 minutes left. So the Lord, the Lord reminds uh, reminds them that all of these nations put together was not as strong as Egypt and they did nothing. And the Lord collapsed Egypt in order to bring them out. If the Lord has to make the sun stand still in the sky, if the Lord has to make a fire tornado come down from the heavens and miraculously part a sea, if the Lord has to make the sky as dark as night with no light for three days, the Lord's going to do what he has to do, right? And it's been a long journey. This is something that we see again and again, right? Like the story of Abraham is not a guy who's like super faithful. The story of Abraham is a guy who is, you know, tempted by, tempted by, but enticed by this promise of a son and then proceeds to screw it up for like 10 chapters, you know? And the Lord is patient with him and restores him and proves to him that he is going to follow through. And after seeing the Lord miraculously many a times um, stick with Abraham and, and, and help Abraham and save Abraham in spite of his unfaithfulness, you get to the end of the story and Abraham's like, whatever, all right, I'll stab the boy. You're just going to raise him from the dead. Like, it'll be fine. And, and that's kind of what he's getting to here is Moses is like, I've seen some things. The Lord has done all of these things. The Lord will do whatever he has to do. Just just follow him. It'll be okay. But he also tells them in a very pragmatic sense that the Lord can just miracle things. The Lord could just miracle disappear those people and they wouldn't need to march into the land and fight at all, right? The Lord can do whatever he wants. But he tells them... Um, he says that it's it's not going to be just one giant battle. He says the Lord, uh, so verse 22, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Uh, you may not make an end to them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. I have no idea what he's talking about, but he, what he's telling them here is that this is this is going to be a process through which you go. And in that journey, the Lord is going to prove to you his faithfulness. 
you know, it's, it's not something, it'll be something that will be harder to take for granted, right? Like never underestimate our broken and sinfulness to take things for granted, but it will be harder because the Lord is going to prove it to you again and again and again and again. And he's going to walk you through because it is about a relationship. It's not just about God doing God's things, right? The thing that he's doing is building a relationship with you. And, and he's the one that has to do that because we're so, we're so broken. You know, we, don't even want a relationship with him half the time. And so he comes down, you know, and he, and he proves to us again and again and again, his faithfulness. And, and that's a long journey. It's a long journey for our lives. Sometimes we, we go through lots of stuff. Sometimes it's more exciting. Sometimes it's a little bit more mundane and we're not sure which one we, we want, you know, we're, we're in the pews every Sunday, but the Lord does the same thing that he is the same kind of faithful bringing the same gifts the same forgiveness the same reassurance the same providence providing for us right all that we need to support this body and life he he comforts us with his holy spirit he sends people into our lives to lift us up and to remind us of that gospel when our faith is weak and he does that again and again and again because proving his faithfulness to you is something he never tires of doing you know, that relationship is important and that relationship is built on his word, the promises that he makes and how he keeps them, even in spite of our faithlessness. And it's one of the things that Moses is telling him here, right? It's going to be a long haul, but he's going to do that. Uh, the Lord, your God, will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. You will make their kings, uh, give their kings into your hands. You shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for that's an abomination to the Lord. And you shall not bring an abominable things into your house. And so, again, in these things, he says, it's not about the gold. It's not about the silver. You know, all of those things don't do that. Like, this is, this is my last little warning to you. I understand you get distracted by shiny things. Don't get distracted by the shiny things, you know, this is, this is important, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a really great speech. Like if you're going into the land, you know, like this is, this is movie qualities, you know, encouragement right here. And, um, and I, and I, and I don't mean that in a trite sort of way. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think that like the words are, archaic or the formulations of them are are difficult but not not this like it really isn't like if somebody said this to you today i don't i don't think it would sound out of place in that kind of a setting maybe one-on-one -on -one, that'd be a little over the top but as you're speaking to a group like this no i i really think i think the translators did a great job hmm. um and it and it really is pretty comforting because god says the same thing to us today I mean, thanks be to God, I don't have to fight the Emirates with a sword, but, yeah. you know, but yeah, I think, I think those things are really important that, that he does that. I have a question for you though. Okay. Um, so he says hornets. Yeah. Does he mean like legit real hornets? He might. And That's I, terrifying. I mean, he could, we, we, you know, especially in the context of like he brought up what he did to Pharaoh in Egypt and the plagues. So it, it, it could mean literal hornets. I think there are other ways of, of understanding it, but I I wouldn't rule out literal hornets for sure. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. I'm yeah. just like, listen, man, the only thing worse than that would be like spiders. 
<laughs> snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> right? <laughs> Goodness gracious, man. That is that is just awful. You know, I I wonder that the hornets it stood out to me too. It it and I don't I don't know if this is what's going on or not, but back in in chapter 1 when Moses was recounting what happened when you know, they, they said, hey, we're not going to go up there. And then the Lord got mad and said, okay, you're all going to die here in the wilderness. And they said, no, no, we'll go then. And they went and they, they didn't, it didn't work out so well for them. In, in Deuteronomy 1 verse 44, Moses said that the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down. So I, I don't know, when when I read the the hornets here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I, I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of, of a play there that once the Amorites came out against you as bees— don't worry, because the Lord can send in hornets if he wants. I don't know. that that There may not be anything there, but that was—so I think they could be literal hornets, but I don't know if that's necessarily what, what it means. Goodness gracious. I, I would definitely want to be one of the Gibeonites, man. That, that sounds, <laughs> so, that's Pastor Linnell, Pastor we have about two minutes here in the morning. Help us to, to wrap this text up in Deuteronomy 7. The, the Lord our God makes promises— and he keeps them. And it's important when he makes those promises that he reminds us again and again and again, because the world is a hard place. Even if we're not living 4,000 years ago and having to march into a land and take it over with swords and shields and, and slings and bows, there's a lot of things that go on in our life. Suffering and difficulty is not a competition. And we need that reassurance today just as much as they did back then. The Lord did miraculous things to save them, to save their fathers and mothers. And the Lord reminded them of those things. The Lord encouraged them and lifted them up. And he, he warned them of the path that they should go and the path that they should not. He gave them every reason to trust him. And even when they didn't and they did things wrong, the Lord did chastise them, but he did not give up on them. In our lives, again, even though we're not marching into the land of Canaan, we march out into a world that is increasingly hostile to God. And we don't march out there with bronze swords, but we march out there with the double-edged sword of God's word to speak law and gospel to anybody who will hear it. For while there may not be an entire nation of people who will suddenly repent, there might be, there might be a few. And that salvation of the Lord is for all. It is for us. It is for everyone who will hear it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, as you're listening at home, I hope as you read through Deuteronomy, you, you see that the Lord has always been this way. He has always been a Lord that is a little bit scary but he is definitely on your side. He loves you. He has made promises to you. He has died and risen, defeating death and sin in the grave. And he will keep those promises to you now and to life everlasting because that is who he is. And that's what he is. And that's what he does. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pastor Sean Linnell is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, helping us today with Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 to 26. Pastor Linnell, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He has chosen you because he loves you. Even in your sin, the Lord has come to you. He promises you his great blessings in his son, Jesus Christ. 
I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.